Welcome to this next episode of the Working Wellbeings podcast. In this episode, we speak with Jodie Hill. She's the founder of Thrive Law and a truly inspiring voice, advocate and leader in this space. She continually challenges herself and her team to do better and shares openly and honestly her journey from mental breakdown to setting up her own law firm on her own terms. Enjoy. Okay. Um, welcome. Hi, Matt. Hi, Jodie. Um, welcome to another episode of the Work Wellbeings podcast. Thank you, Jodie, so much for giving us your time, especially as it's currently, as we record this, the end of a Friday. <laughs> we really appreciate that. Um, I guess without further rambles and chit chat from me. Um, I'm just going to hand over straight to Jodie for a quick introduction on who you are. <laughs> oh, nice. Where do I start? Okay. So, well, now I'm the founder and managing partner at Thrive Law. So I'm a solicitor. I specialize in employment law, but my journey to that was really um, a bit of a convoluted, unorthodox route to law. I actually started as a barrister, um, went and cross-qualified, became a solicitor, um, to cut a long story short, then actually had a mental breakdown and then decided to set my own law firm up. And, I, and I, I suppose throughout that journey, that's kind of shaped who we are as Thrive Law and, and really the purpose of the practice. I, it's my why, really. I want to be able to thrive at work and I want to create cultures and workplaces that are psychologically safe and nice places to work where people can show up as their true self and so I, I suppose I, I have that as my own experience but also um, as a solicitor and you know knowing the law around discrimination and you know the right the rights and wrongs of, of how to to create those types of workplaces um, so yeah. Amazing and you're based up in Leeds that's right isn't it? Yes, so we're based in Leeds. We've got lawyers all over the UK and we're branching out to Dubai at the moment which is exciting. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And so in terms of that journey then, so coming from sort of an experience that's, you know, very personal to you, um, that's what really was the catalyst to deciding to shape your own type of business and do work in your own way. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And and for me, it was really about finding a, I couldn't find a firm that felt like that it fit with my values and actually that felt as though I'd be safe psychologically because I'd had that breakdown and I knew my vulnerabilities and the environment that I needed to be in and part of the the journey in before I actually set the firm up between having the breakdown I worked as a consultant um on a self-employed basis for various firms and what I started to realize was having that that bit more autonomy over my role and also the flexibility of like when and where I worked actually really helped me in my recovery and it also helped me to realize that that was really a really important part of what I needed to create in this new culture because you know demanding that people sit at a desk in an office nine till five is just not conducive to positive mental health for a lot of people um so so that was yeah that was one of the biggest catalysts actually because actually that learning that that learning piece um was was a really important part of that journey yeah so can I just jump straight in then to that to the industry because yeah. I don't want to make assumptions but we do uh, I guess have that stereotype or conception that the legal sector or perhaps professional services might have a slightly tougher um, environment in terms of that balance between work well work-life balance and 
how we can fit in our non-work lives with our work lives. Yeah. Um, do you, is that is that true? Is that the case that there is a challenge there? I definitely think there's there's a challenge, and I think part of that is because, especially in law firms, and I think accountancy firms are probably quite similar. We have to account for all of our time. So you know, because it's uh, very much you know, we'll we'll time recording what we call units of six, and so almost every single minute that you're working, you have to account for, and that's got to be billable. So then it's like, well, when do you go to the bathroom? When do you eat? When do you do your admin? You know, so then that eats into our personal lives because we have to work longer days. We end up working evenings, weekends, and especially I think since the lockdowns people have had some flexibility to work from home but then it's it's almost like well you're not traveling now so you better work 10 more hours and it's that kind of um that work-life balance has definitely been blurred even though it can be helpful to to obviously work more flexibly only if it's in a positive way um so I do think that certainly in the legal sector it's it's those traditions that how they've always worked and so for us it was really about setting a different culture a different way of billing a different way of working and not just focusing on like that person is a number it's actually we're a very people focused people first organization so we lead with values and behaviors rather than um, focusing purely on the numbers and the profit they they actually come a lot lower in our in our scoring for um, the weight that we give to all of the categories that are important within the firm. And we got our team involved in that process as well, because actually I think it's important for the team to understand, yes, we are still a business. Obviously we have to still make money to pay everybody's salaries, but you know, there's a lot more to it than that. And it's not to the detriment of people's mental health. And I think that's, that's key. A lot of other firms don't, they're not quite there. And I think a lot of firms want to change, but as a sector, there's just, there's still this whole thing around billable hours. And I think that's the biggest challenge. Yeah. Do you think that there's businesses in the sector seeing what you're doing and sort of feeling a little bit uncomfortable for, you know, you exposing that? <laughs> um, sometimes I do think that definitely comes up. And, and certainly we've been asked by other firms to support them with with the strategy and just with the approach. I think because they've always done it in a certain way, they find it one really hard to make the time because the model that they're in doesn't let them have the time to think about other stuff. Um which you know it, it was it, it, ironic yeah and then and then the other side of it is actually you know they've, they've only ever done it in a certain way so they don't they don't know how to you know they can't even think like how do we how do we even approach this in a different way it'll be so difficult to change let's just stay as we are um so there are some firms that I've seen that are actually moving away from the billable hours model where you know that person isn't just the number but there's still a lot of firms which are still in that very very traditional way of um accounting for every individual's performance and and billing so yeah I do think there's there's definitely a shake-up and, and also I think it's interesting to see the regulatory bodies getting involved so the law society and the SRA are doing quite a lot of work in the sector to promote um equality diversity and inclusion but particularly well-being and mental health and, and showing like the importance of investing in that in that area right and are you seeing that change then because obviously you're seeing significant progress in the way that you're able to run your firm but are you starting to see that in other firms and peers around you yeah we are seeing a change I think it's slower especially in the bigger firms as you know like in any organization change done well takes time we were in a position where we could create a new culture from scratch based on my values so I don't have the challenge of lots of partners to deal with who might not be aligned with those values I don't have the uh, th those you know those challenges but equally I don't have a whole department to do it for me so you know there's there's um there's pros and cons of doing it 
right from the beginning and changing an existing culture but there's definitely a shift starting to happen and it's positive and I think certainly since the lockdowns that's where we started to see more of the shift because people were saying I need to work more more flexibly because I need a better work-life balance because I've seen the benefit to my family yeah yeah can I can I ask have you seen a shift in terms of expectations from people for example that you're hiring I was speaking to a, a recruiter recently and they were telling me I know I don't know how true this is I was taking it based on what she was saying but she was they were recruiting for positions in um in the center of London in the city um and they got one particular client who she didn't name um who apparently <laughs> they're, they're struggling to fill their positions um and their response was well put another ten thousand on the salary then put, put more money on it and that'll help and it didn't help <laughs> you know the sort of the traditional way of just just pay them more money to get them through the door that that will work whereas actually what she was saying was her candidates were more likely to try and work for an organization that that met their values and invested yeah. more in well-being are you seeing some of that yes definitely seeing more of that again since the lockdowns I think people have the time to kind of reevaluate, like what's important to me what's my purpose like what why am I doing what I'm doing like, often we get caught in this kind of rat race of I'm at work I'm at home I'm at work I'm at home I'm sleeping I'm eating like and, and we don't stop to think like why are we even doing this and we we're certainly seeing people I'm getting approached by big city law firms in London asking people to join me and I'm like what up here in Leeds but actually because we have that remote model they can work from anywhere and they know we can't pay those salaries but they're happy with that because when they work out pro rata how many hours they'll actually work it's probably still getting paid more <laughs> we're working with us because they won't have to work till 3 a.m and I won't ask them to sell their soul <laughs> so <laughs> yeah that is so true so yeah. true. Oh, well, I love that. Well, well done you for being the voice and advocate for that because, yeah, it's it's needed in all industries, but mm -hmm. that your industry in particular, it's 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 a, it's an acute problem, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, amazing. All right. So, in terms of you know your um day to day life there at Thrive Law and what the culture of that looks like and what it's like for your workforce, like sounds sounds like um it's very enjoyable um but practically what does that look like and what opportunities do they have in terms of making sure that their well-being is being looked after so for me i mean i always say start with the leadership team so for me and the the other more senior lawyers in the firm it's all about us leading by example so you know making sure that we take breaks and we practice self-care and we talk about that really openly so um even though everybody works remotely we do have a bit of time in the office but we use in fact we were just talking before the podcast uh, about we use teams and it's about you know making sure that we keep that connection and that communication up but not to a point where we're micromanaging so like on a lunchtime I'll be like oh I'm going for a walk with the dogs or I'll do a walking meeting and just sharing some of those things to normalize it because I think and certainly I saw this when some of my team joined from other firms they felt really uncomfortable being flexible like it actually felt uncomfortable because they were like I'm, I, I don't I know you're my boss but am I actually allowed to do this even though you're telling me and it took them a really long time to not feel guilty about being flexible and working to, to you know to suit them but also I think there's there's that element of accountability for them as well like they do work remotely I can't check in and say have you taken a break every 10 minutes you know so there was really a for me teaching the team the importance of managing their own self-care and, and looking at self-awareness um so I created a journal and I've got given them all um those journals and we've also in the one-to-ones that we do with the team 
the focus is all around what's on your mind, what's your well-being, your workload. So we really have a very much a, a well-being focused one-to-one every month with me. And part of that is checking in on things like that they've said they'll do. So one of an, exa- an example might be one of the teams saying, oh, do you know what? I, I, I need to finish on time on this day because I know that I've got yoga and I'm keeping them accountable on it. So rather than them just going, oh, I didn't go again. And it's like, well, they create their own timeframes, but it's making them accountable for that because I know it's important. So there's an element of educating them and creating this that safe space for them to, to create an environment that works for them. But also from our perspective as managers, making sure that we're helping them to keep accountable and we're also looking at um, what learning and development they need, because actually some people want to go to that next stage, other people don't. And it's not applying the same thing to every single person and really listening to what people need. And I think a lot of businesses fall short there because they just assume what everybody wants. And so there's a lot of listening happening as well. Yeah, Yeah. can I just jump in? I love the way that you're talking about that with like the accountability. I, I don't know why I've never heard it described exactly <laughs> that way, but so we, it was on a previous podcast, I think, actually, and we were having a bit of a discussion around. Um, and this has been something I've thought about for a while, like whether you mandate this stuff, right? Whether you should, in the same way that you would mandate safety, you mm. mandate well-being, you know, it's certain, to, like, do not send an email after 5pm or, you know, things yeah. like this. But when it's well-being, that almost seems like is that becoming a little too far to the point where it encroach on that. But you're talking about almost the middle ground there, if I'm hearing that yeah. correctly. From yeah. It's not completely kind of just do what you want and manage your own well-being, but it's not mandating it and having rules. It's mm. holding people accountable and supporting them to do that, I think. Yeah. Because people need that, right? <laughs> I, they do. Yeah. And and sometimes people don't know kind of where to start because they've never had. And I get this comment all the time. They're like, I think at the beginning of the year, I'd said to the team, okay, in your one-to-ones this year, I'm going to find out what your personal goals are. I want to know what you personally want to achieve this year. And I want to align your goals at Thrive with that. And I want to help facilitate it. And they were just like, no one's ever asked us that before. I don't even know what they are. So I was like, right, you need to work it out because actually it's really important because most people spend like majority of their time at work and I want my team to enjoy being at work because if they're happy they're much more likely to stay and obviously they're much less likely to be off sick and and also the clients are like more likely to be happy like it's an absolute no-brainer um but you know having that level of accountability like I've always found has been really helpful because it's not then me telling them what to do and it's also not them feeling like they haven't got support it's a it's a two-way thing but it also promotes self-awareness so and I think that's something that often in businesses it kind of goes back to the this is more me putting my employer hat on um goes back to the employer employers have to do this employers have to do that employers have to do this and actually we're all responsible for our own well-being and the employers are responsible for, for creating the culture and for you know supporting the team within the workplace but there's a lot of it especially if we work from home that we're responsible for as individuals mm. and so it's it's how do we get the best out of our people to ensure they do that and one of the ways that we do that is through getting them to identify like what are their stressors writing it all down what is their self-care and if they are struggling ramping up that self-care when they know that the stresses are up so just simple exercises that most employers probably wouldn't take the time to do but it doesn't take very long um but it does it just definitely promote that more self-awareness and that accountability piece yeah who, who holds you accountable jody <laughs> my coach <laughs> <laughs> but, i mean we, it is to sound a bit like coaching what you're saying like it's yeah. it's a form of coaching that can work within an organization and yeah, it's, really, that's true. it's really lovely um to you know to think that that's 
that's where what organizations can be like. I mean, I imagine you're probably in the minority, sadly. Um, and I'm thinking about trying to get a job at Thrive Law. <laughs> um, but no, it's really special because that is what we need as humans, right? We all need that. And many of us never access it in our lifetimes, right? Or we go through huge things in our lives, but we never access support of any of any mm. kind. And work and our employer, they're such a big stakeholder in our lives that it mm. makes sense that there would be something, yeah, uh, some form of structure, some form of support to help with this stuff. And it has to align with what we've got going on personally. Um, yeah. Otherwise, it just doesn't, doesn't make sense. But that yeah. reason is hard to mm. instill, isn't it? And and put in place I think you, you mentioned psychological safety briefly like you <laughs> whizzed by it in the intro um did that get you excited what, Matt? yeah that, <laughs> that did excite me so so I guess for the listeners what exactly did you mean by that and also probably more interestingly like how do you create that within your company yeah so let's start with the so what do I mean by it so when we talk about psychological safety it's really about as feeling us as individuals feeling that it's safe to be in in the workplace so that that encompasses quite a few different things obviously there's the environment that that you're in the hours that you work it's 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 that culture piece really for me and making sure that you know we don't have practices in place that damage um that psychological safety or put me in a position where I feel I'm going to burn out or you know so so my I suppose the way that I did that was going back to the point about flexibility, allowing that flexibility and not putting in practices such as billable hours mm. so that, you know, for me, I think they're damaging for people's mental health. That's my personal view. Some firms don't agree with me. However, the, you know, the data from law care is really clear that that is one of the biggest stresses for most lawyers. And that's, that's what causes them to have burnout and anxiety and depression because actually they just can't handle it it's too much so that's one part of it and then it's the other piece is 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 the support and the management around that as well so creating that um, open environment that people feel they can open up if they are struggling because you know you can't stop people from struggling everyone's it doesn't matter what you do people will always have good and bad days they might be struggling with things outside of work but still making sure that there is those point of contact, every single person at Thrive is an MHFA trained um, mental health first aider. Um, so basically have that understanding, not just from internal perspective, but also the clients that might be dealing with. We you know we're dealing with people who have lost their jobs, often with mental health problems, often suicidal. So making sure that people have the skill set and um, the the, the environment in which to open up and, and and support each other as well as actually keep keeping me accountable as well when you go back to that point about accountability the team will also check in on me and it's so it's such a nice feeling because actually as a leader you are quite lonely at the top like there isn't always that support and I'm really lucky with my team because they will check in on me and they'll know um if I'm not great, I'm really open about that. And they'll, they know what makes me feel better and they'll, they'll, they'll help me with that as well. And I think when you get, start to get to know people and you put these things in place, like everybody genuinely cares. And I think that's the biggest difference is you're not just there doing a job. Like you, you're creating that culture where people genuinely care about how other people feel. And so they are more conscious about their actions and their behaviors. Um, 
And then another way that we um, helped create psychological safety was around, uh, we have these things called a license to thrive. So this is our license to thrive at work. And it's really about getting people to show up as their true self, but it also encompasses all of the things that we need. So I've got um, anxiety and I've had PTSD and I've also got ADHD. So one of the challenges for me is that you know, I can be very up and down. My communication can be very different to someone who's neurotypical. So the license to thrive summarizes like what motivates me, what demotivates me, how I communicate best, um, what adjustments I need, my style, all of those things. And everybody has one. So we use those to help people, especially because we're all remote, to get to know each other better and create a, a safer environment rather than just assuming we all work in the same way because we don't. Oh, I love that. That's <laughs> licensed to thrive. It actually reminds me, I do a tiny bit of clinical work um, yeah. in physiotherapy and um, there's a patient document that's called um, This Is Me. Uh, it's often yeah. used in a clinical setting for I've patients. seen it. Yeah, I've seen it, it before. Like, um, dementia or Alzheimer's or something that might mean that it's harder for them to communicate who they are. But yeah. it's so important that's such an important piece of documentation because you can very quickly understand who that person is yeah. a little bit more and like how to even just like what name to call them yeah um, you know because it makes a difference how someone feels if you're kind of being very formal using their full name but actually they go by like a whole different name it makes such a difference if you're yeah. the right name Definitely. so love that really nice it's licensed to thrive <laughs> yeah it has it has worked you know it's actually worked really well and recently the team have even suggested like oh we've done something around motivating factors and like values and they're like oh can we put that in our license to thrive and redo them for the next team meeting so it's really nice and it's also helped when people have come back from maternity leave um, because then when new people are there they can read those license thrives we then have can have a team meeting about it and um we've done like silly games like you know uh, working out which is a fact which is a lie and all that stuff and it just it just helps people get to know each other which i think when you are working in a remote environment you do need to make more of an effort because you don't pick those little facts up and in those little conversations that you did when you're in the office yeah what's the format of them uh, are they like a document are they held somewhere centrally or yeah, so they're in. So we've created them in um, as a uh, PowerPoint, and um, they're all saved on our. So you know, um, on Teams you can have channels. So mm -hmm. we put them on there. So if anyone updates them, then they can see it's been updated. We did used to just save them on the OneDrive, but obviously you don't know if someone's updated it then. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm actually building some tech, and the tech that we're building is an employee experience platform, and that these, the the concept of these will be embedded within the technology. So it kind of is part of that and it links in with a, a diversity and inclusion and a well-being diagnostic so it, all of the ai will work together so that you know how you know if you've got it in a document someone has to read it the tech will kind of prompt you oh that person doesn't you know do video calls because of this why don't you try doing a walking meeting with them so that's the idea behind the tech is that it will hopefully reduce the human error and like our forgetfulness around some of these things yeah. No, oh, I can see you thinking now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm thinking it's great. Wish we'd thought of that, right? <laughs> yeah. Personalization, isn't it? It's like every yeah. time, I think as these conversations are going on, as we're having more conversations with people, it's sounding like more and more that actually what is effective is getting more personal and, and understanding who people really, really are. One of the things Fiona was saying in the podcast with Circus Street, um, Fiona Berry, was one of their like one of her favorite um 
things that they do, activities that they have as a team, are the, the most successful ones are the ones that are really like employees are asked to kind of bring their hobby or their something from their culture into work to share. Mm. So it might be that actually on the side I do a bit of poetry, and so then I I bring in an opportunity for us to like share some poems or something like that. And I just thought that was really that's really nice like really getting into the like the bones of who your workforce are and who your colleagues are it's very like connecting isn't it yeah well that's exactly it the the tech is going to be called connections so (laughs) there you go (laughs) you did tell me that but I feel I definitely didn't remember that yeah no I don't think you did (laughs) but there we go you've obviously done a very good job of uh, appropriately branding it and calling (laughs) it a name (laughs) amazing Matt uh, well, I'm really, inter- I'm really interested in the industry. I know we've already kind of touched on it, but I've got thousands more questions about it. Um, do you think, uh, so you talked about um, the kind of the traditional way of doing things and that's what pervades in some of these other, uh, other companies. Do you, th- do you think it's just that? Do you think, I've, here's a theory for you. <laughs> so tell me uh-huh. it's wrong. Um, do you think, I don't know, like maybe the legal industry is inherently dealing with more miserable things <laughs> I don't know is yeah. there a, is there as much good news in law you know when it especially like some areas like insolvency there's there's very few really positive insolvency stories I'm sure there are some, but... yeah. yeah yeah do you know what that that is a really good point and one of the areas when um so when I talk about law care they're a charity that um specialize in research and support for lawyers with mental health so uh, I'm one of their champions so obviously like their research is 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 the most helpful because it's industry specific and they did do some research around um just looking at you know what is it about lawyers like why why do they get get so you know so stressed and and what you know what is it is it about our profession and part of it is the personalities that we are like lots of perfectionists people like we want to help people so we're going over and above all the time like it's that kind of like a lot of people become lawyers because of that um and so they're probably doing it to themselves a lot of the time because they just want to help then you've also got the perfectionist side. So it's like, it's not finished, it's perfectly done. Um, and then you've got the type of work and a lot of people, especially where you're dealing with a lot of trauma, um, you see this with, um, um, I have a friend who does a lot of cases in care and she has to deal with like children who've been sexually assaulted by their families and, you know, every day. And she's like, this is really hard. Like, I, I don't know if I can do this forever because all I read is this stuff and it's and it's 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 emotional emotionally uh very very draining so I think there's that piece as well and and the same when you when you see other types of trauma I think that you know you almost absorb that because you're dealing with it every day and then also those people that you're speaking to are are deeply um upset you know they're very emotional often have their own mental health problems so as lawyers and I was actually talking to someone about this the other day but as lawyers sometimes I feel like you people will just offload all their stuff onto you and you're like and obviously we're not the counsellor uh we're not um we're not therapists in any way um but especially I mean certainly for what we do in employment law if someone's left their job like they just offload like everything absolutely everything and you know you have to then decipher the relevant bits of information out of that and often you're taking on a lot more and you know we've had to deal with loads of people who've been suicidal who've you know really had awful mental breakdowns and part of that is linked to why they left their job and they're really struggling to fight it and that's again you take that on because you really want to help them um so I do think there is a lot of that in the in the profession there's a few different things um I did a talk actually a few years ago in Prague and it was all around like why we think lawyers are, are particularly are 
are pr- not necessarily prone to mental ill health, but you do find that there are, it's, it's very, very high, the amount of lawyers who struggle with their mental health. Yeah. What is in place then? You know, like you talk about, you know, you're not a therapist, but if you were a therapist, you would have some form of supervision, some yeah. form of process. Uh, does the industry have a standard for, for that? What in terms of in terms of like the the, the advice that we give and the support? No, no, for 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 you as the professional handling that. So say you are working like very you know quite cases that are very alarming or distressing. You know what are, are there formal things in place to help you manage that? Or is Only it like mental health first aid and. Yeah, so probably, um, yeah, exactly what you're just saying there. Like, it would only be if the firm have put something in place. You can reach out to Lawcare. They do have a helpline, so um, they have the you know the ability for people to speak to somebody. But it would be very much on the firm to put that in place, and I think that's where the challenge is because, you know firms maybe don't see it in the same way um and it probably back in the day when they were training wasn't what you did so it's not something that they're going to do now because I had to do it this way so why should they get this you know toughen up kind of thing and that's really a lot of the the attitudes of, of a lot of senior partners in some of the firms is like well we didn't have it we didn't have that support then so why do they need it now obviously times have changed and the other thing I would say is now we ha- we email everything I can spend like 10 hours drafting a document send it to a client they'll come back in three minutes and I'm like ah, it's back <laughs> yeah but you know before we used to send things in the post and we'd have a week yeah. to you know and so you think that the volume of information that we're expected to process is ridiculous and then we also have to build a personal brand and we have to you know deal with emails telephone calls whatsapp groups teams channels asana boards like there's all these different forms of communication and before we just had like a phone and a and a a a post room (laughs) so you know but you see the difference yeah I was going to ask you I was going to ask you about that I literally wrote down the the thing about well I had to do you know I went through this so they they need to whether that like uh, encourages the the culture to stick um and it needs I guess it needs positive role models like yourself who say well I've been through that and I don't want anyone else to go through that in that same way because I just want a more positive future for for people but um yeah yeah shift shifting that shifting that sort of behavior will be really really important won't it definitely and and also people have forgotten how they felt you know oh Mm. I went through that and I made it and it's like well yeah but if you could go back and remember how you felt you wouldn't want to do it again um you know but it hindsight's a wonderful thing right you kind of come through it and you think oh it wasn't that bad but it was (laughs) when you were there you've just forgotten about it it's like a defense mechanism I guess yeah Definitely. Do you remember though, Matt, we did speak once to a young lawyer and she actually wanted that as a rite of passage. She wanted to burn the candle at both ends. And right. um, I mean, I don't know if she still wants that now and how long that lasted. But in that moment, that was an aspirational thing for her as a young new lawyer. She was like, I want to prove myself in this way. She was yeah. also an advocate for well-being. She was like, I've got the energy. I've got the desire, but it's my choice to do it. So that also was a bit confusing. I was like, OK. So you have to remember that there's also just a different mix of people, but there's also like duty of care, right? And making sure that she survives that process, gets inside and still wants to be in her career. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, I was really blown away by that. We, we need to ask you about we need to ask you about the role um so yeah. you find with these roles of you know well-being leaders within organizations people who are trying to uh, trying to improve the well-being of others um it's almost like passion is a prerequisite right you know we're yeah. all passionate about the subject 
what else do you need and what else has helped you to encourage this within the organization well, it was really for me about making sure that the right people joined so that, you know, it wasn't, I'm not just forcing everybody to do the things that I think are right. It was getting the right people to join in. And what I mean by that is get, making sure that they align with the values so that, you know, they're not then telling people to do things that are against those values. And there's no practices being put in place that actually damage the work that we've done. Um and I think the other thing, I don't know, I suppose, I suppose for me as well, it's not actually all my ideas. Like then it's not all me, like it's the team. And I I make sure that I ask the team about, you know, if there's any any things that I'm thinking to put on from a well-being perspective or and diversity inclusion. In fact, anything in the business, like processes, everything, I actually run stuff past them. And it's not that, you know, every decision in the business I run past them, but it's a collaborative effort. And I want to, I want their buy-in. I want to know, is this actually going to help you? And I think sometimes we just assume what people want, and that's not the right way to do well-being because we're just assume, like I love yoga anyone anyone that knows me knows how much I love yoga I'm doing headstands all over LinkedIn right I love it however forcing everybody to do yoga is not the right thing for well-being yes it will benefit them if they do it in the right environment but we need to understand like what are people's needs and and that's at me as a as a kind of well-being lead and in that role that's it's for me to listen and for me to really take that feedback on board um, rather than just kind of go, well, this helped me. Yeah, okay. Some of that stuff might help other people, but there might be other things that are, are there in my blind spots. So mm-hmm. I think I answered the no, question. Then. <laughs> yeah, no, no. The listings really key. Yeah, and also with two absolute yoga enthusiasts and me not being able to touch my toes, then yeah, so I, I can empathize. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what what do you think's helped you kind of progress your career? Um, I don't know. Like, have you received any really good advice? You mentioned you've got a coach. Is there yeah. are there practices that you use as a yeah to progress your career as in, in well being? I, I know it's not solely your career, but you know. What I mean? Yeah. So so definitely um, surrounding myself with people who I can learn from. Like I know that I don't know everything. Knowing. Um, I mean, for me, I've always been really curious. So I read lots. I'm always listening to like podcasts and, um, you know, looking at different uh, audiobooks and books that I can get into. Even when I'm walking the dog, I always like to absorb more information, but also having mentors and, um, and, and, you know, speaking at events, then getting to know the speakers and that type of thing, like just asking questions. I'm that annoying person that asks everybody all the questions. (laughs) Um, And that's really helped me because, you know, I'm not afraid. I think some people are quite fi- a fixed mindset and that's really challenging because well-being's like a journey. Like you're not just, you know, just get there and you've, you've nailed it. Like there's always something new that's happening. So being mindful of that and looking at, like I said before about technology, like looking at tech, how can tech assist with that? Um, mm-hmm. And not being afraid to acknowledge the blind spots and the challenges because it, it, nothing is perfect. Um, so yeah, I think like the mentors have been really helpful, like where I found people who are willing to, you know, just bounce ideas off. And, you know, I think ultimately a lot, especially in the, in the mental health and wellbeing space, there's a lot of people just want to share best practice. And I think that's really great. Um, Cause it's all for kind of the greater good and like things like this. Where you're, yeah, exactly. There's, there's plenty to go around, you know? And I think that's people, people definitely see that a lot more in this, in this space, I think. Um, 
And also through the, I don't know if you've seen the This Is Me campaign um, across uh, the UK, actually it's in India and Scotland as well now, but that's all around sto um, storytelling for, for leaders within organisations around their mental health. So when I launched that in, in Yorkshire, it was already a national campaign, but I just launched the, in the region. What that meant was we got a committee together and then there was loads of other people who really cared about this stuff. So then we all started doing stuff together and we created a bit of a community and I think that tends to be what happens with people who are passionate about this this area. Like this isn't my job. I, I'm a I'm a solicitor, but I just really love the idea of being able to be innovative and to make a real impact on people in the workplace because it just aligns with the type of thing that oh, I suppose like the, the culture that I've created, but also the type of thing that I actually wanted to deliver when I first set my firm up. So being able to merge those two things together, it's like my passion and my profession is like, I mean, everyone wants to do that, right? <laughs> Amazing, yeah. really amazing. So Jodie, what does your, um, you've mentioned yoga, what does your, well, and dog walking, what does your kind of well-being practice look like for yourself? So every day I, and um, people are going to cringe at this, but every day I get up about quarter to five um, and I'm just like, but I just work better in the morning. And also I like to block my time out in the morning, every hour, uh, sorry, every morning it for an hour in the morning is my time. Like that's my time. So I'll either gym or yoga. And then I also walk the dog. So usually get about two hours before everybody's up. Um, and the reason I like to do it before nine is because then I'm not in, interrupted and because I have ADHD, I am very distracted. So as soon as I start, like if I go on my phone first thing, I will just be off on one and I'll be on social media and doing emails. And then all of a sudden it's lunchtime and I'm like, oh, so I do have to be really structured. And that's part of my self-care routine is actually blocking hours in my day to do certain things, including my own personal stuff. So I actually have dog walks blocked out in my diary <laughs> because if I don't block it out, one, people will put meetings in, but two, I just, I'll just get carried away because I'm so passionate about what I do. I just kind of forget. And then I'm like, oh God, I haven't done any of my self-care. So that was, for me, it was about being a bit stricter with myself and um, blocking that time out. Um, journaling really important again that self-awareness and reflecting because sometimes we're all guilty of it we kind of focus on all the negative stuff and um, you might have an amazing day and one person's really annoyed you and one thing went wrong and that's all you focus on so that helps me to practice gratitude and just to be and just to be more self-aware like could I have done something differently in situations because like we're not none of us are perfect um, and then exercise. I know I mentioned yoga, but I also do a lot of uh, I do like weightlifting and netball and I'm always into something like surfing and all sorts of stuff. So um, I'm that annoying person with lots of energy. So, yeah, I like to, I have to I have to expend it. Otherwise, I don't sleep. So I'm always doing something. Um, but I love it. And I think that's that's it. I've, I've tried to create a lifestyle now where I can do that so I can travel and work from anywhere. And which means I can go on a surf trip and surf every day, and work every day. So it doesn't mean that I'm taking a million holidays, which is what everybody thinks, but actually it means I can have the flexibility to do um, the things that I know make me feel better. Yeah. Love that. What was, um, before you worked some of these things out, like around boundaries and how yeah. to manage your ADHD and uh, what was life like before that? I know you said you had a breakdown, but you know, has yeah. a slow journey. Have you? Um, so life before that was just working, I think, pretty much. Like I've always been into like fitness and yoga, but I, it's always the first thing that drops, isn't it? When you're busy and you think, oh, just one more email and then you miss the class. And um, I think when you're 
when you're in an environment where you feel you have to stay because the partners are there, like you, you're always going to put yourself last. So for me, it's actually been a really long journey and through quite a lot of therapy. Um, I only recently got diagnosed with ADHD. So a lot of, of a journey around that acceptance piece of, of that as well. Um, and just kind of understanding like what works, what doesn't work and just being more self-aware as well. Because I think when I had the breakdown, I didn't even know that was happening. Like I knew I had anxiety. I knew I had panic attacks and I knew all of that stuff, but I didn't have any idea that I was downward spiraling. I knew I didn't feel well, but I'd kind of always not felt like that. So it was, it was one of those things. Whereas now, as soon as I, if I don't exercise for two days, I'm like, I can feel it. Like, it's just like, I don't know. I feel so much more um razor focused with that and I I suppose I've never I've never I had to go through that to to appreciate it as well so whilst it was a really really awful time it gave me such perspective and um weirdly I wouldn't take it back as well because actually I wouldn't be where I am today and I wouldn't have that perspective and that awareness so yeah it's definitely been a challenge and to be honest I still haven't got it right like some days I still do get distracted and I'm like oh it's like 8 p.m. I need to log off. Um, so, but again, that is something that will always happen because I know that that's my personality type. And I am, if I hyper focus on something, like it, I can just come out of this bubble and I'm like, oh, it's been four hours. Oh, better, better turn that computer off. Um, so I do have to put things like alarms and that on, but it's definitely a continual journey, but I'm getting better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, it's 8 p.m. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. Good for Alicia. No, I was just going to say, if you know you've got the awareness, you know that you can bring it back, right? Because we can't be perfect all the time. We don't always go up the well-being. Yeah. So we know how to save ourselves. That's that's a big part of it, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah, definitely a big part of it. And it's also it's also that whole piece of being kind. I used to be so hard on myself. I can't. I think that is the very lawyer thing. It's got to be the best, you know, and actually I'm not going to be the best all the time. And I've mentioned a few times I'm not perfect. And I, and I do repeat that a lot because I, I know as leads, like people look at us and go, you've got it all sorted. I absolutely don't. I absolutely don't. And I think that's the, the, one of the strongest messages a lot of leaders can give is that they might look like on social media and in the office, like, oh, you know, they've got it sorted. And the reality is we're all human and we all make mistakes and we're all on a journey still. And the whole reason I set Thrive is that I want to enjoy that journey rather than just feeling like all I do is work and, and not enjoying the work environment. It's like, you know, part of that environment is part of my life you know it's it's part of who I am and and that's really important for me to make sure that that stays true to my values now because I've done all the hard work now as as we grow like making sure that we stay true to that that's the psychological safety right they say one of the best ways to build that is by being fallible and vulnerable yourself so people around you don't feel like they need to be perfect as well yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's a big thing in the legal sector around, you know, mistakes. So obviously we're highly regulated and often uh, we've seen, I don't know if you've seen it in the media where like junior lawyers have made a mistake, they've covered it up because they were scared to tell their boss and then they've been sacked and struck off. So we have a huge thing around like, it, it, a, there's an example today where someone sent an email, it was the wrong name of a person. It, they just called them the wrong the wrong name and they were so embarrassed, but they, they told the team and was like, said, oh, I can tell you a time when I actually um, introduced someone as the wrong name in court to a judge um so like and actually just just normalizing that we've all done it um and you know that of course that's not negligence but the reality being the the more comfortable people feel to be a bit vulnerable then the less likely they are to hide that and then have that impact on their mental health 
but negative. Yeah. I worked with a firm a few years. This is going back a few years now, and they did something they called the Church of Fail. So they all had to stand up at the end of every week and say one thing they'd failed at that week. And it's everything from little things like yeah, put the wrong you know CC'd in the wrong person on an email. <laughs> but then there were really interesting like personal things. You know, I, I I didn't say thanks to a colleague, and I just took something off them and and yeah. ran with it. But didn't say thanks and. Yeah, yeah, a lot of it comes, especially really like when you're working remotely. That sort of connection's key, isn't it? That's mm. a nice one. Yeah. We'll have to start making a little list of these nice little initiatives. You know, they're kind of just, you know, they're they're, they're free. It costs nothing to do that, does it? But it's just a communication thing. And um, right, Jody, before we before we let unleash you to Friday, <laughs> um, tell us a bit about Thrive Law and the services you provide particularly within this space, how you help companies, obviously you're huge advocates of mental health first aid. Yeah. Can you give us a quick summary in two minutes? <laughs> yeah, of course. So obviously we do all the employment law stuff, but we also help with training, strategy. So, you know, if you've got, if you want help with these types of initiatives, like how to do the training, where to start, the, how to do the comms. So it aligns with the law. So we make sure that, you know, you are legally protected, but also looking at how we might infiltrate that into your policies, your processes, your one-to-ones, all of that stuff. So everything from the, the hardcore legal litigation all the way down to um you know right at the beginning of just onboarding someone getting to know them the people skills how to have difficult conversations all of that stuff as well so the full spectrum um and we also do hr packages to help businesses um with fixed fees so that it's really manageable and they feel they can just reach out to us at any time and we're not big scary lawyers <laughs> not scary at all in fact it sounds like a joy to work with you <laughs> amazing I really want to ask Alethea if that oh to Jody is there a question you wish we'd asked you today that that we haven't what do you um, mean? <laughs> that is throw, throwing you on the spot there I know that's a difficult one to do, I don't know actually yeah it's almost, like, it's almost like what so, do you not normally get asked that yeah come to, up in these things I'm trying to think let me ever think of uh because pe people always uh, yeah I suppose People always ask around like the journey and stuff. So it's like, that's kind of covered off. Um, but I don't know if there's like a, I don't know. I think, I think you've covered loads there. Okay. Okay. You'll have, you have to come back for part two. Yeah, we will. Yeah, yeah we'd, love, we'd love to do um, some workshops and things with you, Jodie, as well for, for this Working Well community. So we'll have to have a chat about, about those things. Um, so how do we find you? How does everyone find you? You can find you on LinkedIn, Instagram, yeah so so I'll I'll send you links for for LinkedIn it's just Jodie Hill on LinkedIn and then on on all of the socials it's at I am Jodie Hill and at uh, thrive underscore law for and I'm even on TikTok so Ooh. I know right who who even am I um, <laughs> we want to see a dance shouldn't there be oh, no, there's no, it's not a lawyer dancing thing <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of my dogs like stealing oh. my, off my desk and things like that but, uh, <laughs> Oh, you can take your dogs to work to the office, can you? That's uh, yeah, well, they, when I'm working from home or like when, yeah, sometimes at the office as well. But yeah, they're little, um, they're little thieves. They're just like, they love cups of tea. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's very sweet. I'm happy too. Well-being for dogs. Yeah. <laughs> it's like dog therapy though. Like that's one of the things that, that actually I, I talk a bit about is, is dogs and how, how helpful that is to like switch off as well yeah oh yeah it's a big thing isn't it it's in like um in healing is using dog, mm. doggy therapy mm. um i think they make most people very happy don't they mm. 
Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today. No, thank you. Yeah, it's been really inspirational. Yeah, oh, thank you. I was going to say you best get to bed because uh, <laughs> you're, you're up at four a.m. So I'll actually. This is something that people are like to know. Um, I usually go to bed between half nine and ten, and then so that's still like about seven hours, six and a half. I need between six and seven hours. That's what I need. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And how do you watch the end of Love Island? That makes sense. <laughs> you know what? I don't watch TV. Oh, I know I'm like a weird Ever. person. So I say I don't watch TV. I don't. I the only time I watch TV is if like someone says, "Oh, have you seen this this program or whatever?" And I'll put it on like Netflix. But I don't actually have normal TV. I just have Netflix or like Amazon Prime or whatever it's called. Um, but yeah, I just don't, I never ever sit and watch TV. And this year, what I've started doing more as well is like, rather than, so when I sit down on the sofa, I'll just sit with the dogs with a book. I never used to read much because of ADHD. Like I could never read more than two pages without like getting distracted by something. But now I've started getting into reading more. So yeah. Love that. You've inspired me not to put our television on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm literally looking at it right now as well. I'm thinking. <laughs> When did I last watch you? Although I did watch Emily in Paris the other weekend and I was like, yeah, that's, that's, good. Good. that's it. Television can be a good little bit of escapism yeah. now and again. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, well, I hope you enjoy your weekend ahead, Jodie. Um, thank you so much for your time. We've really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, we'll see you soon. Yeah, yeah. See you soon. Thank you so much. Yes. See ya.